of all of the uh, jobs of a pastor, this is my favorite. I like being with you guys on Sunday morning. Um, and so while it's nice every once in a while to get away, it's really good to be back. However, I did promise before I left that we would take a couple of weeks off from James. And I am a man of my word. So we won't be in James again probably till after Easter. All right? So you'll, you'll know you've got at least about a month before we're back into uh, James. But Easter really isn't that far away. So uh, you don't have that long to wait. Today... Instead of being in James, we are going to be in the book of 2 Samuel. I used to love the fact that there was a person in Scripture named after me. Not the other way around. There was a person in Scripture named after me. Until I realized that Samuel was a prophet. And I went, well, that's not fun. I wanted to be like David, you know, kill people and stuff like that. And then as I've learned as my years have gone on, just what Samuel did, I'm like, well, he's pretty good. All that to say... We're not talking about Samuel today. We're just in his book. We are going to talk about an area of our lives that we all struggle in. Sin. If anybody here says they don't struggle with sin, you're lying and you're struggling with sin. So there you go. Strap in because we're going to read the entirety of 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you've got your own Bible, you can flip there. It'll be up on the screens as well. It's uh, 27 verses. But as I was preparing this sermon, I was like, what scripture passage am I going to use out of it? And I'm reading, and I'm like, no, that's got to be in there. Nope, that's got to be in there. That's got to be in there. And so I finally said, fine, God, we'll read the whole darn thing. So strap in. Let's read the account of David, David, and Bathsheba, shall we? 2 Samuel chapter 11. It reads, then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and he said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself with her from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. Bless you. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Verse 6. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent her Uriah, the Hittite, the, uh, Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Why have you not, co have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark in the Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. 
Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie in his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Verse 14. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was, as Joab kept watch on the city, that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there, would be, there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of, peop- some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you, did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerubzapheth? Did not the woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent to tell him. The messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us and came against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David sent to the messenger, said to the messenger, excuse me, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, then she bore him a son. But the thing David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm guessing that most of you in here, if not all, have heard the story of David and Bathsheba, right? My Bible entitles this, David's uh, Bathsheba, comma, David's great sin. He's not, uh, the Bible is not calling Bathsheba the sin, but what he did. In this story... David makes a few vital mistakes that we all can fall into. So today I'm not going to use this passage to preach about sexual immorality. It applies, but instead we're going to talk about the entirety of our sin and how to combat sin and how to recognize the pitfalls. So first off, number one on your very large note sheets there, David's mistakes David's mistakes. He makes multiple. The answer is on your test sheet there. What was David's first mistake? He wasn't where he should have been. It comes right out and says it. In the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, David sent his army. But David stayed home. Oftentimes, you will find That when you are most tempted, it is when you are in the wrong place. When you know you are supposed to be somewhere else, yet you're not. 
And you can try to blame circumstances. You can say, David's running a kingdom. He had to stay home and run his kingdom. Really? Like he didn't have a bunch of people underneath him that could run the everyday minutiae of his kingdom that didn't run the everyday minutiae of his kingdom. David is a warrior, first off and foremost. He should have been with his army. Be mindful of being in the wrong place. It opens you up to temptation. It opens you up to sin. You will be tempted in the right place. Do not misunderstand me. But you are more open to it if you go to the wrong place, if you do the wrong thing. David's original sin was not with Bathsheba. His first sin was not going to war, was not doing the thing God had asked him and told him to do. His second mistake is that in the cool of the evening, he goes to the roof of his great palace where he can see Jerusalem, right? Now, I used to be somebody who was like, Bathsheba's a bit of a hoe. She goes up on her roof and bathes in broad daylight. Well, I was wrong. First off, it's the evening, right? Let's, let's be clear. The Bible's pretty clear. It says in the evening he went up to the roof. And secondly, in Jewish tradition, and we heard this when we were on our vacation, and I looked this up to make sure that it's true, and from what I found that it is, there was a very specific time of the evening when the women were supposed to go and bathe. And it was that specific time so that the men weren't on their roofs looking at them. I'm not, blame, I'm not taking all blame off of Bathsheba for certain things because we read later on in Scripture that she was not a great woman. However, in this instance, she is doing the right thing. Okay, I want to make that point clear. So here we have Bathsheba who's doing the right thing. Now, I think we need to give David a little credit. He was a smart man. He was a wise man. Do you think this is the first time he's seen her bathing on the roof? Because I don't. I think when he couldn't sleep, he did what a lot of men do. They turned to their sexual desires. In today's day and age, we have things like pornography and such. Back then, he didn't really have that. What he did have was the time of the day when all of the women in his city were bathing and he knew exactly where the hottest one was. So his second mistake is he gives in to his lust. Do I think he went to that roof thinking to himself, I'm going to have her come and I'm going to have sex with her? I don't think so. I do think he went up to that roof going, I'm going to get to see something tonight. I'm just going to look. I'm just, I'm just going to look. God, it's not that bad. I'm just going to look. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, and then he went where he really wasn't supposed to be. Be mindful. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you if you let him. If you ask for wisdom, right? We talked about this way back in the beginning of James. If you ask for wisdom, he gives it. He knew this was wrong, but he did it anyway. He gave in to his sin desires, his flesh. And his defense of himself was, and I know this because we have, humanity has done this for eternity. It's not that bad. I'm not going that far. I'm just going to get close to the line, maybe put a foot over it, but I'm not jumping in. You cannot just go to the line. 
Satan, here's the thing. Satan wants you to go to the line. He will let you go to that line and walk away from it again and again and again until you're weak and he tempts you and you jump over. David, I am sure, thought he was strong. David was weak. The man after God's own heart was weak. So are you and I. If you know a place, if you know you are going to a place that is going to cause temptation, don't. Just don't. Thirdly, he acts on it. He finally gives in and asks one of his servants, who's that chick? Now he's got a name. Now he knows everything about her. Why? Because he's the king. He could find out everything he wants to. And he has her brought to him. And he lays with her. He acts on his desires. Again, you can only go so far. Eventually, what you see, what you think, what you want, comes out in your hands, in what you do. So we've set the timeline, right? David's not where he's supposed to be. Then he goes where he's knowing to go, he's going to be tempted, and he eventually, finally, acts on it. And that is the same process that we, thousands of years later, do. Be wary. David and Bathsheba doesn't happen if David is at war. He would have sinned in other ways, don't misunderstand me, because he was human. But this wouldn't have happened if David had gone to war. It wouldn't have happened if he didn't go on his roof. And then he acted. Be wary and mindful of Satan's tricks, his schemes. He will convince you you're strong enough. He will convince you you're not where you're, it's fine that you're not where you're supposed to be. You have other things you need to do. And then he will convince you eventually, he'll wear you down and convince you to act. And here's the thing, he doesn't need to work very hard because our flesh wants us to act in sin. So he doesn't really have to work very hard. His fourth sin in this whole kit and caboodle is that he tries to cover it up. His first thought is, crap, she's pregnant. All right, the timeline will be a little bit off, but close enough. If I can get Uriah to have sex with her, we can just say it's Uriah's son, daughter. No one will know the difference. I'll know. Bathsheba will know. God will know, but nobody else will know. It'll be fine. What he didn't, depend, what he didn't take into account, though, is that Uriah is what we would call a good person. Uriah is an honorable man and says, even when he's drunk, I will not do something unless all of my buddies that are fighting on the front lines can also do it. So now David's got a real problem because Uriah is a better person than he is and he's got to get this covered up somehow. It's going to come out that she's pregnant. How can I do this? I got one option left. Got to kill him. You know, he didn't really think much about the option of coming clean and dealing with the repercussions of it, but we'll just kill him. Mark this, he didn't just kill Uriah. He had to kill other men in order to ensure that Uriah was dead. He purposefully not just killed Uriah, killed people in his army so that Uriah would be dead to cover up his sin. 
I highly doubt that anybody in here has gone and murdered somebody to try to cover up their sin, right? You may have, however, tried to murder a relationship, covered it up by blaming it on other people, or bringing somebody else into your sin that wasn't a part of it in the first place, but now somebody else looks at both of you badly. We do our best to cover up our sin. And if David, the man after God's own heart, the one specifically chosen by God, this incredible man of virtue is this evil, you better believe that we are too. Take stock of David's mistakes because we are all susceptible to making the same ones. The story doesn't end there, however. Number two on your note sheets, God gets involved. God gets involved. Now, we read this stuff in chapter 12. I'm not going to read a bunch of that. But what happens is, the, the final verse ends with this horrible line, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Does God let evil last? No, he does not. He has tarried with evil in the current age for a while, but eventually he will eradicate that as well. And David said, I'm not letting this one go. The major prophet that was being used at that time goes by the name of Nathan. And so Nathan's got to go to the king and be like, you done messed up. And he goes and tells, right, we read this in chapter 12, this great story about sheep. And guys, and you're like, if he's got one sheep and you've got a hundred, but you steal his sheep in order to, 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 uh, to, to feed your, your guests. And, oh, David's like, how dare he? That, we, that man should be put to death. And Nathan's like, ha, it's you. God does not let you just sit in your sin if you are one of his. If you're not one of his, he'll let you. But if you are one of his, he does not let you just sit in your sin. He will send the right things. What has been done in the dark will be brought to the light. And he sends Nathan. And there are major, major consequences for David's sins. The first off is the death of his son. This baby, this first baby that is born to him by Bathsheba, dies in infancy. David is heartbroken. Now, mark this as well. David repents of his sin. He knows what he does, what he has done, and he repents of it, truly repents. If you don't believe me, go read Psalm 32 or Psalm 51. Those are the two psalms written after this happens of David repenting before God. He was truly repentant. There were still consequences to his actions. His son is killed, and the line of kings is broken until Jesus. Yes, his son Solomon becomes king. His second child with Bathsheba is Solomon. And in order to uh, placate Bathsheba, he promises that Solomon will be king after him. Solomon is not David's firstborn son. And if you read throughout the account, Israel is thrown into turmoil because of this. David's sin 
affected his personal family and it affected his entire kingdom. Sin has consequences. It always has. Now, sometimes, sometimes, God waives those consequences in certain ways, right? Sometimes, God gives overwhelming grace. He always gives grace. But sometimes, just a lot of you guys have been parents in here, right? And I know this because I've talked to my parents about this, that sometimes the greatest discipline is the conversation that happens when you know you've done something wrong. And they look at you and they go, you don't need discipline right now. You know what you did was wrong, and I believe you're going to learn from this. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes he says, I believe you're going to learn, but there's going to be a major consequence to this. Sometimes you don't see them now. Sometimes it takes years. One of the major consequences to the onset of mass things like pornography and such like that is that my generation of men, a little older and a little younger, has the highest rate of erectile dysfunction of any generation of men at this point. That's not supposed to happen until you're very much older than my generation is. But what they have found is that because they are so desensitized by what they have watched, that a real-life woman just doesn't do it for them anymore. It's a horrible thing. It's a consequence of their sin. So the fact of the matter is, sometimes your consequences affect you now, sometimes they affect you later, but oftentimes they affect the people around you as well. But be wary, because there will be. God does not let sin just go. It always comes to call. So, let's apply it to our life then. How should we continue on? First off, do what you know is right. Man, that's so simple, isn't it? Not easy, but simple. It's a very simple concept. Do the right thing. Man, it's probably the hardest concept as well. Because we don't want to do the right thing. We get angry. We get upset. Our sins, our, our flesh wants certain things, wants us to do certain things. Whether it's sexual, whether it's uh, in, in terms of alcohol, in greed, in jealousy, in whatever. Our flesh wants us to do the wrong thing. Right? Paul put it great. I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. I don't want to sin. I know it's wrong but my flesh wants me to do the right thing. If David had done the right thing from the jump, none of this happens. Now God knew what was going to happen, and he used it, but still, if David had done the right thing, this whole story doesn't happen. You never know how doing one wrong thing is going to. And you're sitting there and going, Pastor, you're asking me to be perfect. You're right, I am. No, I'm not. He is. He is asking you to be perfect. Knowing full well, you won't be. But that is the standard. The standard is Jesus. That's the baseline. And none of us have reached it. So the key is to continuously do the right thing more often. To continue to walk that path. Secondly, 
don't make it worse. The amount of times, I wasn't a bad kid, but I also wasn't the, I wasn't a goody two-shoes either, all right? I got in my fair share of trouble. And the amount of times my dad looked at me and said, don't lie, just tell me the truth. You will have consequences. You're getting disciplined, but it will be worse if you lie to me. I tried too often to lie, not realizing that he already knew the truth, which I didn't think was very fair. Don't make it worse. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to lie about it. When you sin, and you will, you have the power not to, right? Acts, I believe it says, if you sin, he is faithful to forgive. If you sin, that word if means you have the power not to. Now the problem is none of us turn to that power. That power is Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, but too often we like to go our own way. But technically, the moment you become a Christian, you have the power to never do the wrong thing again. You won't, but you do have that power. But if you do do the wrong thing, don't cover it up. Don't lie about it. I'm not saying you got to go and shout it from the rooftops. But when confronted with your sin, don't hide it. And when God confronts you with your sin, because oftentimes he'll send his spirit to convict you, before he sends worse things your way, he sends the spirit to convict. Be honest and deal with the consequences that come because they will be less than if you try to hide it. And finally, and this is an area of practicality for you guys, set up safeguards in your life. If you struggle with something like pornography, get a filter put on your computer that somebody else has the password to that stops you from going and looking at that stuff. If you struggle with alcoholism, Right? With drunkenness. Have a group of support friends that are willing to make sure you never set foot in a bar again. If you struggle with whatever it is, set up safeguards in your life. Roadblocks to stop you from getting there. Now yes, you can find your way around every roadblock you set up. You can. So set up a bunch of them because it gets really tiring to try to get through six or seven of them. Have an accountability partner, a person of the same gender who you can talk to and say, hey, I'm really struggling right now, and, and, and we can talk to. Here's the great thing. You have to have an accountability partner that you cannot lie to. I don't mean that you can't bring yourself to lie to them. I mean an accountability partner that knows you well enough that when you lie to them, they go, you're lying. Tell me the truth. You've got to have people in your life that are like that. You must. Set up safeguards in your life. And if you don't know which ones to set up or you're unsure, ask him. He knows the best ones. But those are just some simple ones. Accountability partners. You can do things like if you're struggling with things when you're alone, do your best to not be alone. You won't be able to do it 100% of the time. But you know what? If you're married... And you know you can't be alone, and she goes, I'm going to the grocery store, and you just hate going shopping. Get in the car and go anyway. Maybe make it a fun date. You never know. Do your best to set up those safeguards in your life 
to protect you from sin. David didn't have the people around him who said, hey, uh, go to war. And he would go, no, I think I'm going to stay. And somebody, he needed somebody in his life that said, no, you're not. Get on your horse and go to war. But he didn't have somebody in the kingdom that would have done that. Now recognize this, and we're, 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 we're finishing up here. Recognize this. No matter how many safeguards you set up in your life, you will still be tempted. You will. And if you give in to temptation, it is no one's fault but yours. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault that she was bathing. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault that she was this hot young thing. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault. It was David's fault. It wasn't Uriah's fault that he didn't go home and have sex with his wife. It was David's fault for his sin. It wasn't somebody else's fault that they didn't force him to go to war. It was David's fault. Your sin is yours, nobody else's. I don't care the circumstances that surround it. I don't care what somebody has said to you. I don't care what somebody has done to you. Your sin is your sin, and you cannot blame it on somebody else. But when you set up those safeguards in your life, you sin way less, and you can only blame yourself then. Take a hint from David. Don't hide your sin. Do the right thing. Set up the safeguards in your life you need, we need, in order to live this life God has asked us to live. Would you pray with me? Father, we all have sin in our lives. We all have areas that we struggle, whether it's in lust, whether it's in jealousy, in, in greed, in anger, in, in bitterness, in whatever, right? We all have areas in our life, Father, that we struggle. I thank you, first off and foremost, that you love us anyway that you love us despite our uh, ineptitudes, that you want to use us, that you don't need us, but you want us anyway, despite who we are. I thank you that despite David's greatest sins, he was still a man after your own heart. I thank you that he repented. I thank you that he, he, you, you saw fit to put this stuff in Scripture for us to see so that we know what the right thing to do is. Father, I ask that you would give us the strength to do the right thing day in and day out, moment in and moment out. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what the right thing is. I pray, Father, that you would um, help us to set up these safeguards in our lives. And that we would follow them. That when we meet the first one, we go, oh, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sin and I need to turn myself around. But I thank you for who you are most of, Father. We praise you. We love you. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.